This is Remote Patrol, the new Simply Syndicated guide to your favorite TV shows of yesteryear. I, of course, am Jason Hawk over here in Ohio, and I've got on Skype with me tonight on the far side of the Atlantic, Richard Smith and Allison Downing. How are you guys? We're good, thank you. Very well, thank you. Yeah, been a good week. Uh, people should know that we're kind of recovering from a very, very dark conversation right now. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. I am so sorry. It's okay. So, Happy so sorry. Stuff. We got to work on turning that frown upside down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just laughing at the absurdity of it all. That's the best way. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. how I get through life. After how ridiculous it all is. I'm just glad that it's quantum leap that we're talking about because then we are definitely going to get into Smilesville, I reckon. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and of course Quantum Leap, Fertile Ground, 96 episodes, 1989 to 1993. We talked about it last week. Here's our follow-up. This week we're getting into some stuff. The tail end of, what, what is it, season two? It's the last start? episode of season two and the first two episodes of season three and, and maybe a, beyond. It's been a while since I watched these, so you'll have to bear with me. I'm trying to uh, scratch my head catch up. I, I'm on to season five. Cool. Wow. Now that's good. Not that I've watched anything in between. It's just that I jumped to season five. Well, that was going to be my question. Have you watched any? Have you watched any episodes that were not on the list? No. Right. And it's mostly due to time. Like I was telling you before the show, this has been a very stressful and full week with uh, family coming in for Ryland's birthday party and some things at work. Happy birthday so. to Ryland, by the way. Oh yeah, one year old. That's flown so fast. It really well, has. It might have for you on your end of it, but I've been here the whole time. <laughs> That's true. We haven't. We have like she's cleaned fifteen already. Or... <laughs> it seems like it's been more than a year. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, and she's been sick here today, so Rylan and Daddy were crashed on the couch for most of the day. Oh, hope she feels better soon. But we did get a chance to watch a little bit more Quantum Leap, and uh, she snuggled on me and fell asleep during it, which is. Maybe an indictment of the show a little bit. No, know. no. See, what it's going to do now is <laughs> it's going to be associated with that lovely feeling that you get from cuddling daddy and having a nice show on in the background and everything's fine and dandy and then you doze off. <laughs> it's going to be completely entrenched in the brain now. It's unhappy. I don't know. I, I keep on talking to her about the first time that I'm going to show her Star Wars because I want that to be the formative experience. Definitely. I don't be. think that Quantum Leap is going to necessarily be the foundation for her geekery. Sorry to say. I don't either, but it'll certainly bring some charm into her life. <laughs> but uh, we, we skipped right to, well, without her yesterday, I watched Killin' Time. And then today with her, we watched some of Trilogy. Cool. So you are but, quite uh, a far ahead now. We're not talking about that quite yet. Mm. So tonight, uh, we're looking at MIA as the first one. And I think we're going to get into the Leap Home, too. Yeah. Because I don't see a way that we could talk about these separately. They're very much tied together. I think so, too. It's kind of one each, isn't it, in a way? Um, I I don't know. You know, when we watched Buck Rogers, they, the first two episodes of Buck Rogers were big hour-and-a-half productions. Yeah. And I kind of wish that they had done that with MIA and The Leap Home because this feels like a movie that's all tied together. It doesn't necessarily feel like separate stories. Well, the, t the timelines are quite similar, aren't they? They're not too far apart, really. And it deals with really, really common themes, even more so than the other episodes that I've seen. And it ties together Al's story nice and neatly. It does, yeah. And, and big cries, I'm afraid, from a girl. I cry at this. Twice. But in it, yeah, twice. I've watched it twice in a week. And I cried the first time for all kinds of reasons that I'll get into later. And then tonight, I've watched it again, knowing full well what happens. Cried. Now, I don't want to run any spoilers quite yet. I know that we'll talk about it eventually. But I'm going to guess 
that you cried at the very end, the the dancing scene of M.I.A.? Yeah, it, it's specifically about when he stands up, from the moment he stands up, um, and they're, they're playing um, uh, Unchained Melody at first, which is a far better use of it than they, they used it in Ghost. Um, it, it really gets to me, but then then the music changes to uh, Georgia on my mind, and that, at that point, I have, I have gone. Uh, I am not available for commentary at that point. And I'm also going to guess that you cried at the big reveal at the end of part two of the leap home. Yeah, but not as much as MIA. Uh, I think that the second half of the leap home was the more mature of all three episodes, but I don't know. MIA still got to me more. I think it so, yeah. It didn't have the whole emotional baggage of Vietnam to go along with it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And and when when I'm watching Vietnam things, I can't help but compare it to other tellings of Vietnam. And at, at the time that I was watching this, I was also watching Tour of Duty, um, which which was just ad- addiction TV for me. I, I stayed up late and watched it when I, I really should have been doing homework or, or sleeping and revising or whatever. But yeah, I, I immersed myself in Tour of Duty and, and I saw Platoon quite early and all this mm-hmm. lot. So I, I've got all of those memories. I, I do generally enjoy the Vietnam film, but I, so you, I went into that feeling a little bit like, go on then, what are you going to do with this? I don't think that I've ever told you this, but Kevin and I have talked about it quite a bit. Uh, Kevin doesn't understand this and I've tried explaining it so often, but anything that has to do with Vietnam or World War II, I typically can't watch because I find it so stressful that I, I don't know, I just, my brain turns off about it. I, I just can't handle it. It's a weird kind of empathy thing to something that otherwise I'm not connected to in any way. Yeah. You've told me that before. And I, I, I understand what you're saying. This episode of Quantum Leap was pretty sanitized compared to things like Full Metal Jacket or We Were Soldiers or any of those Vietnam movies where they have a little bit more of an R or a 13 license or what, what, what is it again that you have over there? What's your R? 18. 18? Yeah. Okay. See, I think with this, though, this was less of a... I mean, when you compare it to something like Platoon, Platoon's telling you about... It's not just telling you the story of the characters, but it's also making sure you know damn well what it was like being in Vietnam. Exactly. You're and right that, on the front line. You're whereas, crawling through the jungle. Yeah. You're, you're probably going to die. It's all about shots of Charlie Sheen killing bugs crawling up his neck and stuff like that, and the guys whose job it is to clean out the buckets of poo. And all of this sort of thing. There's none of that in the Quantum Leap thing, because it's just not not about that. If you want to know about what it was like to be in Vietnam, see other more serious things. This is just about, can he save his brother or not? Mm. But we we have got the good import from good Vietnam films, and that's the soundtrack. You can't have a bad soundtrack for, for anything covering Vietnam. It's easy, though. You just put some Hendrix on. And a couple of other tracks. And you, you got to have some Motown in there. Yeah, that's true. You have a bit of a bit of Motown. I've got to admit, usually, I mean, I love music. You guys know how much I love music. But in this episode, I must have completely tuned it out. What was on the soundtrack? What songs did I miss? Oh, I don't know. Things now. like that's Tracks of My Tears. I, 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 Let I, me find it. I've still got Joseph Roundtree poverty figures up in front of me. I shouldn't have that. <laughs> By the way, for a two-person family with two children, the figure is... 36,800 in this country. Really? Yeah. Uh, pounds. Yeah. yeah. Which is worth even more in dollars. Exactly. So we're it's... looking at 60,000 for a family of four. That's pretty crazy. That's how much it costs to live here. If you want to learn more about that kind of conversation, you got to be in the chat room while we're recording. Yeah. That's the, that's the rule. <laughs> so we can depress you before we start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it was. It was thoroughly just a... <laughs> 
Yep. Swift kick in the ass. Anyway, MIA, we're talking about uh, – this was a show that took place on the date of April 1st, 1969. Al tells Sam that he has to convince a Navy nurse that her MIA husband is still alive, but Sam keeps getting signals that he has another mission. It's kind of a misleading slug. It's it's a bit dodgy from Al, I think, because if he the, the idea is always that if he if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't put right what once went wrong, he, he doesn't leave. So you kind of think, cheers Al for giving him fake information all the way through. What if what if he'd not done the thing he was supposed to do? They don't always have a discreet answer as to what the mission is, though, and I think that they do a, a pretty good job in this episode of having Al say, "Hey, I didn't run it through the computer. I didn't run it through Ziggy to find out if there were any other scenario than the one I wanted to see." Yeah, he he seriously thinks that this is the mission. It's he wants it to be. He the wants mission. it to the to be the mission. Right. Uh, let's rewind. Let's let's talk about what this is even about. Sam's leapt into uh, an undercover detective. He's just been made detectives, quite decorated, and he's dressed as a woman. And right at the beginning, he's caught in in a bit of a shootout, and a couple of people get arrested. And as as we said, he never leaps into someone calmly. No. It's always a, a big shock thing, but nevertheless, it, it was good, because he thinks he's going to be a woman again. He, now, does he say, oh boy, every time? N- well, no, it was ad-libbed once, and then they just went with it from then on. So I, I don't know at what which is the first instance of it, but no, throughout season one, I don't think he says it at all, and then it, it just it, becomes it, it how every episode ends. I did kind of like that as a running gag, mm. just a little thing. But that was yeah. why my Quantum League show aspect. was going to be called Oh Boy. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's boy. still that's still the definitive name for a Quantum Leap podcast. Don't anyone steal that? <laughs> now I've said that until I've done it right, then you can. Well, no, then you can't use it at all. Probably get in quick before I do it. I waste a lot of time doing it now. So they do pull a little bit of a swickcheroo on you here at the beginning of this because you think that he is in the the woman of a body. The body. It's been a Interesting. long time. It makes me conscious that I didn't pick any episodes where he's a woman. Uh, they all kind of tend to We watched the Dr. With... Ruth one. That was fun. That was a good one. Oh, yeah, there's the Dr. Ruth one. There is I that. that. That whole thing would turn me off because... I think watching something about perceived gender roles now, uh, a few decades after the show was aired, I think that it would be outdated no matter how progressive they tried to be on the show. They do, I think they do it pretty well, you know. I, I always seem to remember them being pretty good at it, Yeah, actually. Um, mainly because of the ideals of Sam Beckett that they always try and push. He's always mm. someone who's got a pretty left-wing, liberal view of life, the universe, and everything. Uh, and very Christian viewpoint, and that that comes right up in this episode. It Cause, does because they're cause talking it, about God well, leaping him around. They say he a lot, and and that's a nice, neat little confusion of does he mean Ziggy or is he God? Which segues into a conversation about well, if God wants me to do this, then there's too many coincidences in the way. Um, and th- then Sam suggests that well, it might be the work of the devil, and Sam says, "I don't believe in the devil." And at that point, I think, "Well, Sam, I'm sorry, but you got you don't, can't pick and choose, love." You kind of wonder that. I mean, as atheist as you could be, once something start, some undefinable force starts making you travel through time, maybe you reconsider a couple of things. You know, it's all well and good me saying there's no God sat in my living room in Howarth, but I, I'm not. Well, there is one, but there's definitely no devil because I've seen. That. It is quite an assumption that there's a force moving him around mm. because they they do throw in their time fate or whatever 
They do. And I, you know, I don't know whether that would have been necessary for me to enjoy the show. If, if, if they just never mentioned it, what makes him, mind you, they have to have some sort of ex- explanation, don't they? Otherwise, why bother doing anything? Mm. Why, why change anything if it's not for a positive thing moving him around is his motivation just getting home or is it something else because we find out in this episode for for al at least the motivation isn't getting home well sam's hoping each leap will that his next leap will be the leap home it exactly. says that in the beginning exactly. of the show so is that his only motivation or is he motivated by wanting desperately to make people's lives better as well well now what he you're does asking some pretty is, selfless things he really does he doesn't have to really what you're asking now are some questions that we're all going to have to see the very final episode to have answered exactly and I, this I, is, I, hear, I hear that this episode ties into it yes it does yes it's mm. one of those it does so it's but again, not on Netflix. The bastards <clears throat> don't, you know, can't watch I'll, the last one. I'll find a way to do it when, when we do the final episode of, of this show. But, uh, Allison, sorry, we, we got way sidetracked. You we were giving it. us a rundown of what happens. We only got as far as the opening 30 seconds. Yeah, so <laughs> he's been involved in this bit of a mission and, and people have been arrested. And um, we get we get to meet the, the people who've perpetrated this and they want some revenge on Detective Scabs as they call him, but it's Skaggs, it's the guy who Sam is, is partnered with. And we know that, that, that that's going on in the background. And we know as viewers, that, hang on a minute, this is the thing that needs changing. Something's going to go wrong here, and this is the thing that needs changing. But Al says, there's a woman here, and you have to prevent her from meeting somebody today because she's going to make the, the biggest mistake of her life. Her husband is MIA. And in in four years' time, he's going to become he's going to be found and sent home, and and you must stop her from meeting this person that she meets today and later marries, which is a bit of a spanner in the works as far as I'm concerned. He's here to do something about these criminals. See, I think an eagle-eyed viewer at this point straight away knows that whatever he's doing is not what he's meant to be doing. Al's behaviour is off. Al's behaviour is off. There's, t- there's things you notice. It's the, the, the plight of the person he's supposed to help is of a person that is in no way related to who he's leaped into. Exactly. He always leaps into the family of somebody or, or the, the husband or whatever, not just someone nearby. So you, you kind of got that going. Plus, if you've really been paying attention, you realise that when she first says her name, that her, same, her surname is coincidentally the same as Al's surname. I didn't know that. I didn't pick up on it all because I'd never heard them mention Al's name at all. Yes, it's mentioned. It's mentioned. Oof. I believe it in, in... I'm kind of glad I didn't know that. Yeah. Because this unfolded in a really natural way for me. Oh, it does. They do a good job of it. And I think most people... It's, it's one of those things that, if, like I say, if you're really the Quantum Leap nerd, you see that. It's it like w- watching it back tonight. It's that you've seen it. Watching it back tonight, I, I was able to look at Al a little bit more deeply when he was telling Sam what he was here to do and how emphatic he was about it and how much emphasis and and how rough he looked. He stopped shaving. He, he looked like he was completely um, embroiled in Sam being there and there was something personally invested. For, I'm pretty for ashamed Al. because I'm one of those guys who, when I went and saw The Sixth Sense, I got the twist like half an hour into the movie. Yeah. 
And I, I've usually pride myself on being able to sense the switch, but in this one, I didn't get it until he picked up the damn photo, and it, and it was the photo of Al on the mantelpiece at the woman's house. Yeah, and which uh, is the final reveal, really, isn't it? It made it a lot better for me that I didn't get it in advance. And I agree. I, I liked the Kansas City shuffle that they pulled on me, mm. and I, it, that shuffle was so good, as a matter of fact, that I didn't even remember until you brought it up, Allison, that there were those two thugs in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Because you you didn't want it to be about that. I'm on our side. I want it to be about Beth. That whole vice squad police thing that they tried to trick you with at the beginning into thinking that that had anything really to do with the jump at all. Uh, Yeah, totally got subsumed by the whole emotional impact of that, the the Al story. And like I said last week, Al's definitely my favorite of the two characters. Yeah, and there was a scene that I completely missed the first time because I thought it was irrelevant. So my my brain kind of wandered off a little bit. It was when um, Sam was on his own with Skaggs for the first time in the car, and he was talking about, well, you only get one chance to, to dodge a bullet in life. And he, he re- reflected about a time when he'd come up against a gunfight that, that, and there was a child there, and the, the child died. He he lived, but the child died. And um, I just filed it away. Cause, oh, why do I need to care about that? It's about Beth. and, and that, But that is... It comes up all the way through. You only get one chance, and then in that in in the real scene, in the in the police scene, he gets to live out that scene again and see if there really is a second chance. See, that's the kind of throwaway throwaway line that actually ropes me into the show. And uh, you know, I've been struggling to get into Quantum Leap. I haven't made a secret of that. I'm pretty invested at this point, but a throwaway line about. Some you know the the cop who dodges out of the way and the girl gets shot instead. Tell me that at some point in season three or four, Sam jumps back to save that person. No, no. Ah, no. damn it. No. See, no. I would have st- stood and given the slow go- golf clap to the writers at that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do do things like that, but it it would be crazy to try and do things for every time something like and that. And if you did put up. that right, then that cop wouldn't have had that moment of redemption. You can't mess with all of history, Jason. You see, this is why it's good that you don't have a DeLorean. Oh, please, come on. The whole point of this show is that they're going back and changing history all the time. And, and there is no immutability of, uh, of the future in this show. Do you know what? That actually, I thought, was much more obvious in the next episode, in the Leap Home Part 1. Just to briefly jump to a little bit of that. The, the, the idea that in that episode, he's got to win the basketball game that he, in the... In, real in real time lost because that would mean that his teammates would go on and win and they'd become doctors instead of like a janitor and the coach would go on and coach in the nba and become famous and rich and everybody would be so much happier so he's got but to win the basketball means that sam yeah. would have changed himself and that he wouldn't have necessarily gone on to start project quantum leap exactly and it, it also doesn't account for the other team who would, would then have lost the game that they otherwise won? Did so, they become janitors yeah. instead of doctors? We assumed that there were no detrimental effects to them whatsoever <laughs> for losing this game. They weren't that bothered about it. It's, and it's let's a just weird say, thing. Let's just say, too, that if in some weird future episode, if Sam changes his mind and goes back and changes the end of MIA, then that no. erases all, all of the seasons following it. Exactly. You can't do that. Do you like Al like me? Are you more of an Al fan than a Sam I adore Al. I adore him. And I can't blame him for what he does in this episode because I'd do the same. In all honesty, you know, you kind of have to get into that empathic frame of mind and think, well, if I had Ziggy in my hand and I could see 
the person that I, I loved and, and lost and all the rest of it. Would, would I try and interfere and change history? Of course I would. Of course you would. It's the prisoner's dilemma. Everybody does whatever's best for them, regardless of if there's a better outcome in the long term. Have, have you ever heard of this? Yeah. And yeah, altruism is lost at that right. point when, when you can choose your happiness over others that, and it's the only hope of that happiness, then you, you're going to choose it. So I, I totally get why he's doing this. And I love this episode because we we really see who he is. You know, we were talking last week where we, we got to see a little bit of that about his sister. But this one, this is where his heart really is. And I, I love the performance. The, the performance is just a sheer love when it, yeah. Hmm. That, that final scene. I, I don't think I've, I've seen many performances like that where the, we're just seeing a person look at somebody that they love. That's all they're doing. And it was magnificent. And I, and I think that's why I love this episode so much. It's a little bit weird because, uh, what's his name in real life? Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm having troubles. It's been, like I said, a very long week. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Stockwell, uh, has such great eye acting in he this does. episode. Then you go back to season five, you jump ahead, like I have in this past few days, and it seems like he gets more stage play. A bit hammy. Uh, just a little bit, kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit, kind of um, over-enunciating things, like like he is on stage. Yeah. I don't know. Is that an involvement of him or a change in direction? You never know, do you? Well, the episodes do change directors an awful lot. Have you been looking at the names? Um, I've scanned through and there's a, a lot of different names come up, isn't there? A ton of them. And this one, MIA, was uh, directed by Michael Zingberg, who won the Director's Guild of America Award for his work on Quantum Leap. Good man. 1991, he won the award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in a Dramatic Series. That's pretty good. And uh, also nominated for three Emmys, two of them for Quantum Leap, but he never won. That's a shame. Um, MIA came out in 1990, so that would have been the body of work that got judged that year. Right. And I'm not sure. I would guess this episode. I haven't seen the rest, but man, it was a hard hitter. Yeah, it, I think the writing in this episode was, was really quite good. Apart from the, the God and Jesus and Devil chat, that was that was pants. Yeah. Well, we get into that again in the Leap Home Parts 1 and 2, but he didn't direct that. Uh, the Leap Home Part 1 was directed by Joe Napolitino, right. who, as far as I could tell, is a nobody director. He did like... Uh, Boston Public and some episodes of Dawson's Creek. And did you ever see Birds of Prey? No. It was about like Batman's daughter or something, maybe. Okay. Right. <laughs> it was terrible. It already sounds shit. <laughs> but I think the divide is pretty great because you see the Leap Home Part 1. I didn't particularly like that episode compared to the second part. It was a bit of a cheese fest, let's be honest. And the second part was directed by Zinberg, Singberg again. Again, better writing. Yep. So I think that there's definitely something to be said for for his impact on the series. I I think so. And and when you think of those two episodes, the uh, the Leap Home Part Two and MIA, they both handle emotions quite quite differently, really. Uh, by the way, according to IMDb, I'm just glancing over here. He's still working today. Zinberg's. Um, well, the last thing he did was like a couple of episodes of the new 90210 series. Yeah, but he also wrote some of The Good Wife. He's done seven episodes of that, which I think is a really well-written show. And Private Practice, that's had some critical acclaim, but not not a whole lot. Rizzoli and Isles, he did some of that too. That's one of those character-driven cable shows over here. I'm not sure if you've seen it at all. No, no. I it, it has been shown, I think. 
I haven't really seen it either, but, but from what did. I can tell, it's it's got some chops. We did see Lie to Me, though, so and he's done a few of those. Yeah. That was um, good. That was a good season. <clears throat> the Bob Newhart show. No. Bob, no. And Everybody Loves Raymond? Yeah. Except me. <laughs> when my parents were here, and this is just a brief segue, but when my parents were here for Ryland's birthday party over the weekend, for whatever god-awful reason... Everybody got. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond. Was on for I don't know about an hour or so, and my parents apparently had never seen it before. Or I don't know what, but they were reacting like it was just the funniest comedy that they have ever seen ever. Yeah, my father would agree with you on that one. He, he just, says as a married it, guy, I kind of understand why some of it is funny, but it's not like belly laugh time. It's really not. And at the end of the day, just fucking leave everybody. Raymond, just run out of the house. You Abandon would leave. your family. Just go. <laughs> they are horrible, horrible gargoyle people. Just his, run away. His wife's horrible. You would not stay married to that woman. She's just horrid. No. And, and his mother's just the most overbearing person ever. Just run away. Just get a new identity. Move to Europe. For Alison, this Throw is a viable long. option, apparently. It's just wrong that he lives with them. <laughs> it just annoys me. Leave! We'll never do that show on this show. King though. of Queens, why is he with her? So- oh, I hate that show. <laughs> with a fiery passion. As a matter of fact, I was making a joke over the weekend, too, that Kevin James needs to be uh, cast as uh, Michael Corleone in the remake of The Godfather. That would be Because he's, he's that good. <laughs> Paul Blatt, Godfather. Terrible. Wait, wait, so wait. that's director Michael Zingberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nicely rounded up. And Nancy Daniels in the chat room agrees with you on hating Raymond. What more do you want out of life? <laughs> Nancy is a woman after my own heart. We are like she's right though. She's sisters right. from another Mister. Me and Nancy. <laughs> is that what the saying is? Sisters from another Mister. That's right. <laughs> right. Okay. I want to be clear that I don't hate it. It's just I couldn't understand why my parents were laughing like it was the Big Lebowski or something. I don't know. It was like it was about eleven o'clock at night, and they were just going and going and going. I thought that they were going to wake up the neighborhood. Dear me, do you think they could see themselves? Probably, and probably my father's parents. I, I think that. What, that's I think what that's goes why my dad likes all it. the couples. I think he just wishes he was the the uh, Peter Boyle character, like Raymond's dad, yeah. <laughs> just so that he could be that cantankerous in real life. He is that cantankerous still in get real fed life. Cake. Well, I have remarked uh, from time to time that I do want to kind of be uh, a mix between Peter Boyle and Red from that '70s show. By the time that Rylands oh, graduated from high school, yeah, yeah. that that's good. That's yeah. that, I'd be shooting for that as well. Anyway, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. So, we've got a scenario where Al is telling Sam, basically, to make sure that his wife doesn't meet somebody. Did it take us this long to get to that? Well, pretty much. Because that's we went like to a 30-second explanation. Well, we went all the way to the spoilers, but we need to talk about Beth and so, I, I think. Al's wife thinks he's dead because he's been missing in action for two years he's going to be missing in action for a further four years she's very so sad. she marries someone else coincidentally meeting that person on the day that sam leaps into this place i don't like him no i hate that guy you meant what to hate yuppie? him he's called dirk for a start i have an issue with that you meant to hate him but You're my not... biggest issue is probably his sweaters the yacht club sweaters <laughs> he's just so fucking preppy i just want to hurt him yeah he comes across as very swarmy even though on the surface just looking at him there's nothing really wrong with him he's nope. polite he talks to her in a very respectful way he doesn't try to like creep up on her like some perv yeah uh, he's but... a lawyer so he's gainfully employed he's got yeah. plenty of money yeah but you just there's yeah, something but... about him 
some people just give it out of their skin. You can't help it. You just don't want to be near their physical person. And this guy comes over and he's helping his damsel in distress. And, and he, he makes a line about, oh, it's a shame you're married. And at that point, I would have gone, you fucking creep. Because that's how he made me feel. You shouldn't say things it's his like that. Hair, it's his teeth, it's his sweater, it's his whole demeanour. I don't like it. And I, I, yeah, I just wanted him to get away from her. Not for our sake, but for her sake. It's such a weird thing to say to a woman. It's a shame you married. Because essentially what you're saying is, I am otherwise interested in you. And so to, only, to communicate that to the woman is essentially saying, would you cheat on your husband with me? You're putting out a situation because yeah, otherwise really. there's no need to mention it at all. You keep that to yourself, you know? Like Sam did at first. Well, he never fancied Beth. Yeah, but, but he did this crazy thing. He talks his partner into pulling him over and, and separating them so they don't have a conversation. Right. But on instruction of Al, he, he's orchestrated this thing, but it's, it's all very silly. I think you're wrong, Rich. I think I disagree with you. I think that Sam was totally going to nail Beth until he saw Hal's <laughs> picture on the mantle. Well, it would have kept her away from that other guy. It would have accomplished his mission. That would have I don't been think the... that it was entirely a pragmatic thing. I think that you saw him falling for her a little bit as they were talking. Exactly. Well, it's it's what adds to the, the drama and the emotion of it all, is that what you do is it's not enough that Al's losing his wife. We make her lose. We make him lose his wife to someone that we otherwise don't really like. And to really add on the pain, let's make her absolutely wonderful. Let's make it so you can't help but fall in love with Beth yourself. She is so you, you, you further feel the pain of him losing her. And so it just—it's adding on layers in the writing. To if if only they'd made it so Sam nailed her. Then that would he didn't have just said it. I didn't mean it to he be like this. Why did you do this? He didn't have to nail her there. Something far more intimate than nailing her. She told him about losing a patient that had gotten to her. And she'd not told anybody she'd been carrying that and it had been bubbling up inside her. And, and, and Al was underneath all of that. But right now it's about losing that guy, that, that patient. And she didn't want to die because he had a spirit. And, and she, you know she admires that spirit because she's got it herself waiting for her husband. And On the uh, other hand, from a kind of a caveman guy place, <laughs> I don't think that Al would have been able to forgive Sam for having sex with his wife. Oh, but no. I think he can forgive him for having an emotionally intimate moment with his wife. Yeah. He can, and he forgives him instantly, but it was, it was difficult for him. It's like you spent the night there. Yeah, I just held her. That's all it was. Friends don't like it when you sleep with their wives. We've all learned that one the hard way. Mm. <laughs> we have. <laughs> so, moving swiftly on. Um, in, Incidentally, I've never been married. We we need to. We, we should move on to the next episode. <laughs> so, summing this one up, it's really very good. We get a lot from Al, and it makes you cry at the end. God, yeah, yeah, because it the the real deal is about sorting that that scene out and and making sure that the bad guys get it and. Skaggs gets his redemption. It's not really about that. It's about, that's, well, that's, it's about Al and Beth. That, the the other he, thing is there because you've got to have a story that is part of why he technically leaped. It's it's that bit of the story is really just there as filler. The story is about Al and Beth. We know that now, don't we? Did you not feel that as you were watching it? Of course I did because it, that side of the story got marginalised to the point of distraction because it was Al saying, no, it's about Beth. Do you know what? That side of the story was marginalised so much that I have seen that episode countless times 
twice in the last week, including in the last two hours. And I don't remember what that bit of the story was actually about. Right. It's not important. You don't, got the don't, two ex- bad, don't explain it to the me. Two bad guys for the first scene. Move on. Want to get stop, their revenge stop. on him? We, 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 it doesn't matter because our my well, my point is is that it's that marginalised. It's irrelevant. It's it's there just as a technicality. Yeah. Anyway, and they, they're not afraid to do that. It's she about, draws Skags out how. so that the bad guys can shoot him, and they don't in the end. Well, Sam, Sam gets him. there in the nick of time because he go. does realise that he's there to change a bit of history and give that man a bit of redemption yes. and say, "Look, you can do this twice. Don't Again, try it a I third time." That, that entire thing played out. I thought that they just the thugs were. Just shoved to the side. I don't even remember them sh- resurfacing in the show again. It's so forgetful, isn't it? You just it's There's a horrible scene where they're trying to feed the baby whiskey and they're being horrifically racist about the uh, the Mexican girl and, and the language that she speaks. They're just evil scumbags. So you get one scene that reveals them to be evil scumbags and that shows them bullying her into telling the police that she's got some information which draws Skaggs out. That's all it is. It's really, really tiny little bit of story. It is all about all about Beth. Just filler. So let's we have well, gone. Like I said last week, I think that the entire series and the more that I see of it, I think this is starting to reinforce. But I think the entire series is is Al's story and not Sam's story. I I still think it's a mix of both, but it is very much a mix of both. It's not a Sam story, even though he's kind of the lead main part in it all. It's it's about both of them. And if it doesn't start out that way, it certainly ends that way. It certainly becomes about that very early on. At least, well, it could be that you're just cherry picking the right episodes for me to think that. That's too. another thing that concerns me is that you know I've, I've, as I said last week, I've tried to pick out a reasonable mix of episodes, and especially from the ones that are available on Netflix, and so it can sort of skew your your view of the thing as a whole. But well, the next one is the next one's very much more Sam centric. Yeah. Before before the second part bounces back to Al, but the leap home part one, we go to 1969. Sam leaps into himself as a teenager to help his high school basketball team win the championship. He also tries to help other members of his family, including his father who died from smoking, who I did not, by the way, catch until like way too late in the episode that that was uh, Scott Bakula playing really? his father as well. Wow. I know I was totally out of it this week, guys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I Especially, get the stupid award. Uh, as at the beginning with the credits, it says Scott Bakula as his father. Yeah. Long week, Alison. Yeah. He's told us. Yeah. That's fair enough. We've all been there. <laughs> First year of birthday party. It's a big old mess. Mm. Well, also the thing at work. But, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, it's which is a good thing. But uh, we also find out that Scott Bakula needs to uh, stop his brother Tom from going to Vietnam because he's going to die in Vietnam. Well, that, that's the personal investment bit, isn't it? We've just had an episode with Al's personal investment in a story and wanting to put things right in his life, and now we've got Sam getting the, the same opportunity. I'm so confused, though, because Sam made the huge point of telling Al in MIA, no, we're not here to change your past. And then, bam, here you go. You're in your own body, changing your own past, Sam. Exactly. How do you rectify the two? You just have to get on with goes, it. Well, I was wrong. And hope that... It was nice for Al. Al got a nice thing out of it. Surely it's not that bad after all. Uh, after all, he let Al have that little bit of time. I think... Why that, can't I have mine? I think the Dennis Quaid movie Frequency is based on this episode. You think so? There's that whole thing about him stopping his dad from smoking because he dies of cancer. 
Only Dennis Quaid believes him because he's talking to a radio in the future. That's that's the extent of my theory. It's, it's not very well padded out. <laughs> I will give you that. It's kind of it, loose. It could be sounder, but it's that, that's what I'm going with. It's The one thing that struck me about watching this again was how happy the Beckett family were and how that all their lives were flushed down the toilet after this episode ends, so to speak. Because Tom dies in Vietnam. The little girl marries an abusive alcoholic. Dad dies of cancer. Mum, I'm not sure what happens to his mum. Fucking broken heart. Well, clearly, but, you know, because all her family's dead or or whatever. At least Sam did well. Yeah, at least our Sam did all right. And and so it's it's just that horrible thought, because they're so happy in that enormous farmhouse. It's massive. At no point does Sam ever make mention of how massive his house is. And when you get there, it's like, Jesus Christ, look at the state of that. It's, it's just our British perspective, Alison. We have the tiniest houses in the world. We do, I yeah. think so, because it didn't even occur to me. It's it's huge. It's it, enormous. It's enormous. It's, it's just an old farmhouse. No. Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> all over the place. It's enormous. But this is, as, as, <laughs> as my father would say, this is what happens when you build houses out of wood. <laughs> yeah. You see, can have red big you ones. can just build massive ones. Try doing it with stones and no mortar. That's how we build farmhouses here. Much smaller. <laughs> Up you get, Barkley. Sorry, the, the, Barkley's just sitting with his head on the sofa uh, in the kind of, can I get up, please? But he's waiting for me to say it. So I have, you can get up, Barkley. Up you get. And he's bored with it now. <laughs> um, it, it brings up a lot of, it, this is actually a fun one. For is as it? serious as it you is. You think it's a fun episode? It's a fun <laughs> one. He gets to go back to high school and do it right or whatever. Wouldn't no, it, no. Wouldn't it be fun to go back to high school? No, it wouldn't. And you know straight away that it wouldn't because the first thing that happens to Sam is he sees three feet hotties all sat near a car and one of them wants to know if he'll go to the bloody pram with the other one. And he runs. That's true. Why would you want to go back to that kind of level of social anxiety? Because you wouldn't run. You wouldn't have that social anxiety. You'd be an adult. No, but he did. He ran. That's Sam Beckett for you. If Sam had gone and done whatever under the skirt of his little high school sweetheart there, that would have been a whole level of wrong that I'm not sure I would have been comfortable with. It does raise issues with the but quantum leap running away, concept again. Running away, that told you exactly who Sam was when he was that age. It's who Sam is at the age... He is when he goes into the quantum leap accelerator. That's just his one of his defining characteristics. Exactly. And it Wait, is now... it is a disturbing concept if they if they go that way with it. It's still not as bad as the leaping into the baby idea, but it, it's up there. I am. Am I right in hearing that Sam is married? Yes. Yes, he is. But he doesn't know it. No, he can't remember. That's convenient. It is. It is really. It's addressed in one episode, one that you skipped over because we see her. We see her twice, actually. The first time, it's Terry Hatcher. Because he seems quite adept at getting off with people when he needs to as part of the leap. They say that. Why didn't Al ever tell me I was married? And she says to him, could you have acted as freely as you do if you knew that? So he didn't tell you. And it's convenient, but that's Mm. their reasoning for it. But yeah, we meet her in an early episode when he leaps into one of her college professors. And then she's Terry Hatcher. And then we meet her in, I think it's one of the episodes I picked. Um, where he and Al swap places and suddenly he's a hologram and can leave the imaging chamber and then we see future world, whatever it's like. You know, I saw a little bit of future world in Killing Time, but I'll save some of my comments about that for next week. Yeah, it's a little bit off, isn't it? it just a little bit. 
Just just to give you a preview of my thoughts on that one, let's see. I wrote down, uh, the future looks like Billy Idol vomited all over a Power Rangers set. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Spiky, leather, studded, and and plastic. And very neon. Yeah. I'm, I must say, I am constantly disappointed with the lack of neon now that we're in the future. You know, neon's making a comeback over here. Is it? Oh, yeah, I hope it the, catches uh, the, big, the big neon sneakers thing is happening right now. I like that. See, it's stuff like this that led me to believe that once we got into the future, which is technically now, then there would be a lot more neon, and that there's barely any. <laughs> Quite, I can live without the rocket packs, just give me the neon. The neon makes sense. The rocket packs never made sense. They're the most stupid idea ever. Think of the deaths that would follow that. Horrible. Oh, no, I need some of these. What? Just... Have you got neon sneakers? Yeah, there's some really, really nice ones. Oh, what have you done? What have you done? You know, they are pretty cool until you fa- factor in the cost of the battery packs that you got to buy. Oh, I think I've just got ones that are in neon colors. Are you talking about ones that are actually light-up sneakers? Yeah, no, I'm like just being it. sarcastic. Oh, I see them there. Look, look at those. Neon electric sneakers. Right, I'm going to get some of those. That'll, they'll be awesome. They're not, they're not really a pair of shoes, I don't think. Oh, right. God knows what you're looking at then. So, where were we? <laughs> uh, I think it's fair to say that we can move pretty quickly through part one, don't you? It was very much build up for part two. I don't have a whole lot of notes on it, it except, I mean, a couple things, like um, the girl who plays Sam's sister. Yeah. I, I want to give her props real quick, because there's that one scene where Sam is trying to convince her that he's from the future, and he's telling her things, and it's a sustained shot. You see her face go from, like, this nice you know, angelic little girl smile to terrified and crying very, very convincingly, by the way. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Very good. And we're talking like, uh, what, what do you think that shot was held for? Like 20, 25 seconds, Allison? Oh, easily. Yeah. And, and we mustn't forget at the same time, Sam was singing. Imagine. It's the Which whole... was a little dodgy. It was a little dodgy. I have. I think he did version. all right, but you know, still it's a bit dodgy. For that to was get the through point. that scene and not laugh, <laughs> never mind express all that range of emotions was incredible. Yeah, that was the point where Lisa was in the living room with me while I was watching it. And she she's very proper and uh, she's very reserved and displays of emotion like that don't come easily to her. So she kind of got up and was like, really, really? Yeah, it was a bit cheese. Yeah, just it was fine. It was fine. It served a purpose. The girl, he's right. You're right. The girl cried brilliantly. I like that the Al was holding him back. Don't tell her that bit. You don't, you don't have to tell her that bit. Don't tell her that John Lennon dies. I thought that the way that he delivered that was a little bit cheese, too. It uh, was. A lot of cheese. It was. It was incredible cheese, but I'm, I'm glad Al was there to sort of rein it in a bit. You know, there was another cheese moment in this episode, too, and it's kind of a repeat of what you were saying about MIA. Uh, it's the scene where Sam starts screaming at the sky, railing, railing against God. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. What else is he to do, though? How would you rationalize what is happening to him? If you were Sam Beckett, Alison Downing stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. What What is driving you to put right what once went wrong? I don't know, but I did jot down here that I would have screamed at the sky a lot sooner than Sam did. Yeah. He held off for a long, long time. Well, he was too happy. But this is the thing, you see, because this is the one thing that I did empathize with him on, an awful lot, is when he was looking at his mum. And and realizing how much he'd missed her, and just taking in, just drinking in what she looked like, and and holding her, and and I I would love that opportunity, I really would. So at that point, 
I was like, yeah, yeah, I like this. And and later when, when Al says, you know, you've got this opportunity, you know, I, I wish I had that. That's where I'd come from. I wish I had that opportunity to put things right. So if I did leap into my 16-year-old self, you know, I'd try and do things better, a lot better. Although we did also both agree on the fact that it would be uh, nice to be able to leap back into that situation with the, the pleasant home-cooked meal. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, oh, yeah, imagine like that, growing up in a house where it was oh, just such a delight to eat mother's cooking. Just huffing oh. it down and I'm just thinking, God, yeah, if I showed up at that table, there'd be cold, overcooked carrots, there'd be some beef that was grey. And, and But the Yorkshire puddings would have been excellent. But everything would have been cooked in the pressure cooker, apart from the, the just remember the seeing all those news reports that were like, and and so many kids nowadays, their parents don't even cook them real food, and you think, lucky bastards, try coming here and well, eating what our mom does. Shut up. At least you get KFC, poor children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, damn yeah, parents we get, that we get care. Liver that has been uh, cooked for three weeks. Yeah. It so swings and roundabouts, people. Don't the grass is always greener. Uh, can I ask a can I ask a technical question about this? Please do. Who's in the waiting room in this episode? Sixteen-year-old Sam. Is he really? So does Sam have two souls? Or I don't know. Does anyone have a soul, Jason? These I and other questions. Know. I I'm not qualified to answer all of these. You know. Well, this is Highway to Heaven. So yeah, please, please consult your your nearest spiritualist leader. We're not doing that on this, are we? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love that. I'm just wondering to your closest church place of worship. I've Ask I've got some questions raised by Quantum Leap. <laughs> I need answers, Father. Hey, you know what, though? Chris Upton would sit down and, and talk about that with you. He, he would. What, uh, the guy at the top of the road? Reverend Chris Upton at the Baptist Church oh, I, in Howard. I see a special episode of Remote Patrol coming on. Sit down and talk on. to you about it. He, he's um, a member of the film society. He's at the the Howard Cinema Club. That's brilliant. So he watches all kinds of things and then reflects on how it fits with religion and will sit and talk with you about it. He's fab. That's I kind of want to do that. Uh, that <laughs> he's a great so, guy. So let's talk about the religious connotations of Quantum Leap. And I, we could, I should get in touch. He might want to do book grudges as well. He might. You never know. And then Magnum. He's the most enlightened reverend I've ever met in my life. Columbo. He's a great guy. I am kind of getting some ideas for trolling certain Christian bulletin boards on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I think Leap Home Part 1 is just, it's build up for Part 2 because essentially what they're doing as well is Tom is the nicest big brother anyone ever had. Right, I need to... Really? can Can we just talk about the scene? Where he he sees his brother for the first time. Oh yeah, the, the gorilla mask. Yeah, yeah, the obvious. Why don't you remember that? Why don't you remember? If you were sixteen year old Sam, you would have remembered that your brother turned up in a gorilla mask, and you were like, "Who's that guy? Oh, it's my brother." That's a pretty good story, especially if it's the last time that you saw him before he went and died. Exactly, oh, one of the last. Oh, it's time. him return. It's, it's the day it's he got home from being home on visit. training. Yeah. It would be it would be a significant day. Yeah, it and would. especially the day he turned up at school to basketball practice in the gorilla mask. And yet, a few days later, he can recall that on that day, at that moment in time, his brother shot two shots, hit the first, missed the second. What? 
You just compare the number of times he'll have been out shooting with his brother compared to the number of times a man with a gorilla mask turned up to basketball practice. And ended up being his brother. And ended up being his brother. Yeah, you'd think he'd remember one and forget the other. Yeah. And then your next question is, can you remember any lottery numbers, Sam? <laughs> yeah. Who wins this football game? I've got to go and place a bet. Well, he did that in the, in the first episode that we talked about. He did, With the Muhammad he? Ali fight. Yeah. I, I actually think Bet to the Future 2 was based on that episode of Quantum Leap. Let's uh, let's have another podcast. Let's <laughs> let's start a third one called uh, what what movie was inspired by Quantum Leap, starring Richard Smith. It's just a running gag <clears throat> for the episode. I'll, I'll stop. What, what I like about <laughs> it most is that we conclude include uh, films that were made in the seventies and eighties. Yes, we can. <laughs> films that were made before this episode of Quantum Leap exactly. were based on this episode well, it of was Quantum too Leap. wasn't it well that's the great thing about time travel it so was it it happens though in things which is how come Seven Samurai is based on the Three Amigos <laughs> that's right so these things can happen clearly there is someone leaping through time I don't know so spoilers <laughs> Sam wins the basketball game and leaps uh, to April 7th 1970 Still involved in his brother's life, Sam leaps into Vietnam to save his brother or ensure the success of the team's mission. Because I totally freaking didn't see this coming. No, you don't, do you? You think you it's think over? It's done. Well, I thought that it was a great ending. No, time is immutable. Tom dies. I was very happy with that. <laughs> so you were a bit pissed off when he turns up a day before his brother's supposed to die in Vietnam in the same company as his brother. I wouldn't say that I was pissed off. I was a little bit disappointed that the writers weren't brave enough to kill his brother. Yeah, it, it does require a bit of bravery, doesn't it? Maybe that's the, oh, this kiddies watch this thing. Let's put it right. Let's not have them upset for more than a week. We the, were upset for a week. Died. You see, I remember watching these as they were originally aired. I remember the huge gap, waiting all summer to find out what happened when he leaped into his younger self and being amazed that he got to save his brother from Tia Carrera. You know? Tia Carrera. You wouldn't need to save me. Although they make her look very... She looks just like Robin Shaw in Mortal Kombat in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> She's very boyish. <laughs> Not, uh, she, she wasn't looking anywhere near as hot as she did in Wayne's World. Let's no. put it that way. She wasn't, no. Especially not the gold bikini moment. Certainly not approaching, approaching what I consider to be her peak in true lies. Did you catch the other guest appearance in this episode? Uh, what's it? Patrick Warburton. Yeah, Putty from Se- uh, Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Joe from Family Guy was yeah. one of the Marines, the Navy SEAL. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brack, or oh, what's his name, in uh, Venture Brothers. Do you know, I'd never got into that. Will Venture tried to Brothers get me onto it, and I, I, didn't, I didn't quite get into it. And then Archer it's, came along. Archer's amazing. They, uh, yeah, there's similarities, but uh, they, they occupy their own little areas. Uh, one of them does not preclude the other. Let's put, yeah, that. I'll give thing. it another go. Is it on Netflix? No, uh-huh. and I wish it were. Uh, you might be region locked out of seeing Cartoon Network.com's episodes. I don't know. You can try it Should or get it? them off of the Pirate Bay. That's blocked for me, you know. Is it really? And you don't know how to use a proxy? Oh, I'm God, sure. yes. I've got several bookmarks here. But officially, <laughs> BT block it. You know, that you just type in how to bypass block on Pirate Bay, and there's actually, it's embarrassing how many ways it can be done. <laughs> but what's the, is it cartoonnetwork.com? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, ju- I'm just curious. I know this is way off topic. I'm just, I, I will look that up later. Um, anyway, part two. 
part two. So he's leapt into a guy called Magic, who's part of the company. <laughs> is this where the term magical black man comes from? I, I don't know. Maybe Magic was just a, a popular name at the time because of Magic Johnson. Oh, it could have been. Good call. I, I think that's probably what it was. Um, but yeah, Sam, Sam's leapt into a black guy. Uh, he, he was seen to have some kind of magical properties in this because he's predicted certain attacks and that kind of thing. And, and indeed, we, we find out we leapt into one of those moments where he'd had that, that prescience sort of thing. So he, he's seen as a bit of a, a totem for the company. By the way, just so that we're not confusing anyone, Magical Negro or Magical Black Friend is a name for a TV or a movie trope. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article here. Here's what it says about it. And it doesn't mention Quantum Leap at all, by the way. I ran a search. Uh, Is a supporting character in American cinema who is portrayed coming to the aid of the film's white protagonists. These characters who often possess special insight or mystical powers have been a long tradition in American fiction. As awful tired boss. He was the the biggest, uh, biggest magical black guy in any film, I think. Not just in his size, which was absolutely massive, but in its scope. Everybody knows that magical black man. I'm seeing uh, Legend of Bagger Vance, the Defiant Ones with uh, Sidney Poitier. Those are some examples. Mm -hmm. But we've also got a bit of a spanner in the works in terms of uh, a journalist. Journalists always get in the way in Vietnam films, don't you notice? Goddamn journalists. Goddamn journalists in war zones. They need to be wiped off the face of this earth. Journalists, I'm telling you, they're not worth the the crap that you spit them out. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I'm going to let the guys who who, who do it in a city where they live off. But the the Pulitzer chasers, the ones who go to war zones to, you know, show us the gory stuff that the TV doesn't show us, um, those guys get in the way in wars. And, And this is one of those tales. Uh, a woman who I can only assume has been modelled on Kelly McGillis's character in Top Gun arrives. She does look like her, doesn't she? She really does. She's got the same hair, same shade of lipstick, same kind of jacket. Maybe that's why uh, McGillis's character in Top Gun was called Charlie. Maybe. Even though <laughs> this was before, before this. <laughs> but th- that fits perfectly with the rule of time travel TV. I, I think the movie Top Gun was actually based on this That's episode of Quantum Leap. While yeah. you were away, there. Sorry, I had to <laughs> poke in the fire. I had to open the flu. <laughs> By the way, this isn't really how embedded journalists work. No, I'm. I'm figuring not. No, is that it just... it Andrea Andrea Thompson, Maggie Dawson? That's her. Did you like her character or not? Because no. I didn't ever really warm to her. No, she was one who was, who was getting in the way. She She's clearly um, a, a bit of a sexual magnet for all the guys who have not seen a woman for ages. Not just a sexual magnet, but she prostitutes herself to get what she wants, and that she, just really turned me off. She's a nasty little character. She really is. Don't like her. Don't like her. And she knows, she knows what she's doing. Even though she's a little bit glorified at the end of this episode, and I didn't like that at all. No, that that's the shame in it all, I think, um, how, how she was portrayed in it. But hey-ho, there's a choice to be made towards the end, and you never know whether that's the right choice or not. I think that it says a lot about the 80s that, well, what, did you say this would have been 90? This would have been early 90s, this episode. Yeah, maybe it's a, a holdover from the 80s, but... It seems like um, the writers thought that female, a strong female character had to use her sexuality as a weapon. 
Exactly, but when did aliens come out? Because that got rid of all of that. Before this. Actually, I think the movie Aliens was based on this episode. Do you think? 1986. Yeah, it must have been then. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm sure that's what happened. But, you know, that, that character of Ripley doesn't display any of those attributes. But she does, and maybe it is just a bit of lazy writing, or maybe a woman would have had to be like that in a war zone. But I'm guessing not. I'm guessing that a woman would have to be a bit more butch and boy-like and, yeah, I'm prepared to die here for the right shot kind of thing. I think they'd have to be a bit more of a boy than a girl with bright scarlet cocksucker red lipstick. I can't imagine Kate Aidy behaving like that I for the BBC. I can't imagine Kate Aidy behaving like that either. Not at all. No. She was so severe, I'm surprised she didn't just go out and sort out a few wars she reported <laughs> on. Yeah, it's it's not the same thing, is it? Desert Storm would have been far longer if Kate Aidy hadn't been reporting on it. That's all I can say. But maybe it's okay, Jason, that a, a, a bit of a dick did something that was recognised and held up as she were, I, a, a marvellous piece of you uh, really journalism. You dislike the character that much. I thought she was a dick. I really didn't I have that much dick. of a problem. That's harsh. That's harsh. No, I don't think she was a dick. I just think that she was... I don't know. It's hard to quantify because I don't want to say that women shouldn't be sexual whenever that they want to. Mm. But still, she was being a whore. She was. It's that, it's that element of her that I, I just don't like. I think she was helping she, out the guys who were in the war. She was not. She was. She wanted the shot. That's all she they, cared about. They, Quite happy to see a lady, and it would help if she's a bit of a, a slut. So they, she was using them though, and she was willing to do what, whatever it took to get what she wanted, even if it got all of her soldiers killed. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, she didn't care know. about them. No, she just wanted the shot. Exactly. Even if it was of a soldier that she'd been stood next to and laughing and joking with, and letting him look at her tits. And I think that her fate in this episode was absolutely fair, considering what she was doing and how she was endangering the mission. It was befitting that she had her comeuppance because she was dumb and she was in the wrong place. I think that was fitting. I I, I was happy with that, as it were. She won a photography award anyway. So, She's fine. So that's the validation that maybe it's okay to, that she got that validation, even though, I didn't, you know, yeah. her methods and means weren't exactly... Uh, to be respected, really. Maybe she wanted a dick. Maybe she, I just don't have any respect for her. Do you know what I hate about this episode? I'm not clever enough to get the plot. It still confuses me. Like, the main bit of his mission. Because you've got the whole thing where, is Tia Carrera really on their side? And there's all the stuff with the radio frequencies. It's one of those situations where the characters in a TV show figure something out. And I don't. And I need them to be... Well, hang on. Explain that again more clearly. And it never is, and I still don't get it. Well, Tia Carrera is supposed to be a defector who's now on their side. I get that bit measure, of it. It's the stuff with not. the radio frequencies. She, well, she sets up an ambush, basically. Right. And they're using different frequencies, so they get to know everything. Um, and, you know, there was a point in this episode where I wasn't sure that the person who was misusing the radio was Tia Carrera. I thought for a moment that it might have been the journalist. Yeah, so did I. That, that was no, nice. that would have been too much. It was Tia Carrera. She barely had a line. She can be the baddie. You never knew. As soon as that journalist got there, I knew she was trouble. Yeah, I thought different. that she might be arranging her own story to happen. Yeah. Why not? She wanted it that much. It was clear. She she could have been passing information and, and making things happen just so that she could be in the thick of the action. So, yeah, I think that was a nice little uh, side sweep. I, I, I wasn't convinced, you know... 
Tia Carrera did a good job of persuading me to, to believe that she was okay and trustworthy. I will say that one thing that Quantum Leap does very well, or its writers do very well, is lay down red herrings so that you don't know right from the beginning who the killer is or or who the, the crux, the, 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 the fulcrum for the plot is going to be. And watching Trilogy in the middle of it right now, I really, really like how they're handling that in the same way. It's not like a episode of Columbo where you know right from the the beginning of the episode <gasps> who did it. And the joy is just seeing him unravel it all. You've got, you've, you know who it is. Well, I would much rather participate way. in an episode than wait to see how the main character solves it. Yeah. So this is more engaging than Columbo? Um, we'll come back to this point when we do Columbo. Are we doing we'll Columbo? We'll definitely do Columbo. We I'm so happy about Columbo. that. I am so happy about that. Yeah, we have to do Columbo. Yeah. Because the point of Columbo wasn't who done it. The point of Columbo was <laughs> watch Columbo get him. Exactly. Let's just watch this little guy. And, and he just looks like he can't do it. That's the best thing about it. He's the definition of an underdog. He loves playing that character. Everybody thinks I'm dumb and I'm scruffy and... All I talk about is my life. He's almost <laughs> like as close to being Inspector Clouseau as you could be and still realistically be an employed police officer. Mm-hmm. Or is so the persona that he gives out. Clearly, in real life, he's, he's fucking sharp. He's, he's always, always going to get you. Once Lieutenant Columbo is investigating you, you might as well just give up. But the will... fun part of Columbo is trying to figure out when he gets it. Because yeah. usually it's like mm, 15 minutes in, he knows who the killer is. And the rest of the time is spent trying to get the, the killer into the corner that he needs to get the, 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 the arrest. So Brilliant. Good. We'll come back to that then. One oh, more thing. Columbo. I have not you know, my wife used to make some of those. <laughs> yeah. I like it when my wife bakes those. They're good. Waggling that finger. He's ass. Yeah. Peter Falk. Is he still alive? No, he's he's dead. All right. Uh, last year, I believe. I yeah, I feel like it would be recently. Let's see, Peter Falk, June twenty third, two thousand eleven. Right. Where were he we? He must on? have been old. Yeah. Uh, not as old as you'd think. Eighty three. All right. Old enough. He always looked old. He did, yeah, which is why I said not as old as you think. I mean, you figure when he was making Columbo, uh, he was probably 45, 50? Yeah. I mean, that's how old he looked. I could do the math and figure out how old he actually was. Don't. It's okay. It'll we'll come back to Columbo. It was probably about that, <laughs> about 45, 50, I reckon. If Makes you had sense. another 30 years on top of that. You're doing the math. I'm not doing the math. No. <laughs> I, I want to save I that for have. the Columbo episodes. You with your brain. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, where are we with Quantum Leap? Um, so I I love this episode, and it's it's not a standalone. You have to watch it with the two that precede it, because otherwise it doesn't have the emotional impact. It's basically a feature, super feature length episode, mm. split over a summer and a couple of weeks, which was agonizing. Rich, I need to know: Do you like part one or part two better? <sighs> It's it's a tricky thing. I, maybe I, I think part two's uh, maybe a bit better. I I agree with what you say that it's a more mature story, so to speak. That it's yeah, two's the better one. But they're they're both. It's like saying which half of the movie was best. It, it's it's impossible to say. The thing as a whole was great. I'm looking at the IMDb scores here. Uh, part two gets eight point eight. Part one gets nine point one. Right. Mm. So See, it's a little bit reversed. I, I did not expect that at all. I thought for sure that um, 
that part one would be the lower of the two ratings. See, part one, what that has going for it is that it's a little bit of a novelty episode in that he leaps into himself. And I think those episodes will always be a full point higher on the scale. There's more novelty about that. He's playing his dad in the same scenes. That That's it as well. That's a really engaging thing because they, they used a technique that was fairly new at the time. And no. No? You're thinking of me saying that it wasn't there. The, right, they never really show both faces at the same time, do they? The, there's there's a, the there, scene in the milking shed. There are a couple of scenes. Um, what I pointed out was that it kind of jars you now that in the scenes where they're both in shot at the same time and you see their faces, when it's blatantly Scott Bakula playing both roles, is that the camera is very locked off. It doesn't move. You get a static shot. And that was that doesn't happen anymore because it's not necessary anymore. Uh, because now we have computer-controlled motion cameras uh, that they made for Back to the Future 2 to do all that stuff when Michael J. Fox plays his wife and his sister and his cousin and all that sort of thing. But in this, it's it's much more primitive technology, so they can do it, but it's it's all locked off, it's all static, and it doesn't happen for very long. So that that was the thing. But it, it was still like, well, they're doing this on TV. No, they've, it's been done on TV for since black and white days. Benny Hill was famous for using it a lot back in the day. It was very well done. It's, you know, certainly better done than when they have Phoebe and Ursula both on screen at the same time in Friends. But, Mm. yeah. Jason's Googling something right now. Can you hear that? Mm. I just had an idea, and I doubt very much that it would happen, but I was just wondering if anybody ever approached Michael J. Fox about playing the Sam Beckett role. (laughs) Oh, no, that wouldn't have been good, you know. I don't think you'd have been as good as Scott Bakula. Too much time traveling for one person. Surely that has a detrimental physical effect, time traveling that much. I'm not seeing anything at all. No, I I don't think it ever would have happened. I think it needed to be someone like Scott Bakula. I think he does that shy personality very well. He does Boy Next Door very well. That's what I like the least about the show. I I wish that Sam had some more personality so that I could latch onto it and like him more as a person and and be more invested in why he wants to get home. He he takes on too much of the personality of the people that he leaps into. He does, and that gets confused over the the lot of them as well. In the MIA episode, uh, Al says, you're you're this copper who does this, that, and the other. And, And Sam is the one who says, no, I'm Sam. You're talking about that guy. But later on, Sam's the one who does the confusing because it's more convenient for him to say me, I. In the trilogy episodes, that's something that really stuck out to me. And, and of course, we'll talk more about that next Mm. week. But um, Al keeps on confusing pronouns, saying you, he, and juggling them back and forth. Yeah. That is one of those things that, again, if, if you're a diehard nerd, it will wind you up. But it's kind of, for the convenience of the story, it will vary from episode to episode. I mean, actually, one of the things, again, I'm jumping to another episode, the Dr. Ruth one, only because we recently watched it. The the glaring problem there was the difference in physical size between Sam and the person he's leaped into. And there's a moment at the end when the the lead female character hugs Dr. Ruth, but she's hugging Sam and she looks up at him into his eyes. And you think, yeah, but you're actually hugging Dr. Ruth, who's quite tiny compared to you. So from your point of view, you'd have to look down into her eyes. But you're looking up and it makes no sense. But we just gloss over it. Where does Superman put his clothes when he's not Clark Kent? All these questions and more. 
We just you just have to forget it for the fun of the thing. A Superman Kinder Surprise bundle, and it goes up his bum like things into army prison. (laughs) Wally West, the Flash, his clothes went into his ring. (laughs) Exactly. I have never heard that explanation before. I would find somewhere else <laughs> than up my bottom. Would you leave them in a, in a UK telephone box? There are no UK telephone boxes exactly. anymore. Do you know why? Because they've been slept in and pissed in by tramps. They're called heroin drop-off points, aren't they? You don't want to leave your clothes they? in there. Yeah. So, no. I don't know. These are superhero problems. Put Sam faces up. them like every other one. Put some up his ass in a big Kinder Surprise egg. There you go. There's a question. Is Sam Beckett a superhero? No. What, because... I would say he's just a regular hero. Like Batman? Batman's got no powers. Uh, but he exercises himself superbly. (laughs) I don't know. He does, and he saves more people all at once. Well, here's the other issue. Sam only does that for one person at a time, really. And sometimes he doesn't save a life. It's not about saving a life. It is the problem. If you just want to get to the fact that what he's trying to do is save people, and we hear about he's a doctor. He's, he's he knows all about proper doctoring, and I don't mean like the PhD doctor. I mean like he's a medical doctor. Mm. So why not just have him leap back fifty years with all his vast medical knowledge and be a surgeon in an ER for a decade? How many more lives would he actually save with his vast future medical knowledge? But that's not what the he wants him to do. No, we have to do it one person at a time and take about a month over each one. It makes no sense. But maybe the butterfly effect of all these good things is bigger than Sam ever doing the surgery in one place for 10 years. It's another, you don't know. It's an unanswerable question about Quantum Leap that Again, we just have to forget have about. have this chat with Chris Upton. It'll I will do. You right. I will do. I'll, I'll speak to the local holy man and see what's going on. Do it. Yeah. You want a weird little piece of trivia? Go on. Do it. Uh, Thomas Beckett is Sam's brother, who he's trying to save in these episodes. Mm. Have you ever seen... Uh, uh, why, am, why is my memory failing me now? Uh, I'm not seeing that one, though. No, you haven't? Really? <laughs> <laughs> what was the one on the Sci-Fi channel where they uh, went from dimension to dimension? It had... Uh, Sliders. Thank you. Sliders. I kept on wanting to say servers, and that definitely wasn't it. <laughs> no, that's about computers. Totally there is a character, I think her name is Maggie Beckett, who comes in in the third or fourth season, and the Sliders wiki says that that's supposed to be the niece of Sam Beckett. Really? Are those TV shows really linked at all? Maggie Beckett is a fictional character on the television show Sliders, played by Carrie Wurr. Uh, Maggie Beckett had a father named Thomas Beckett, who was also in the military. So is it more like uh, the the writers of Sliders did that, even though it, they didn't it, do Quantum Leap? It might have been an homage. Right. That's But, that... but it is weird looking at the, the uh, comparisons between the two shows. I mean, they are of a similar ilk. They are as well. They, they're very similar, actually. In fact... And controlled slides between realities or times and changing things and... I, I yeah. think you could almost actually seriously say that Sliders was quite possibly based in some way on Quantum Leap. <laughs> I, I did, that's that's the first real one of that. There's no arguing that if... I, yeah. Would they have really come up with the idea for Sliders if there had been no Quantum Leap? Because it's basically the same show, pretty much. In fact, it's surprisingly similar. Mind you, we have Babylon 5 and Star Trek, so these things can happen. You know, I'm going to say I, I had fun with Sliders. I haven't seen it all. I've seen maybe a season and a half. But I liked that it was, unlike Quantum Leap, it was a what-if show. 
yeah, what if I, this uh, one thing were changed and it was completely different than anything that we know? I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Some of them were quite crazy and others were kind of quite spooky, actually. Um, it, it wasn't a terrible show. I'd, what I'd, if the British had won the Revolutionary War? Come on, Rich. We'd all be wearing <laughs> wigs. You'd be far more organized by now. <laughs> that's as far as I'm willing to go with that. That's a potential further episode of Remastered That. We must remember that. What if the British had won the Revolutionary War? And that is an actual episode of Sliders. I, I will go and watch that, and then we can you know, write, write that one down on the Remastered list. That that's not a bad one actually. Let's let's yeah, that actually sounds fun. Maybe that will be the closer for season one of Remastered. Oh, good idea. Yes. In retrospect, by the time that this comes out, yeah, maybe that was the season closer. That's <laughs> it. Do you know? Speaking of closing, we should bring an end to the show because it's been an hour and a half. Has been winding on. And I, I think we've exhausted these three episodes of Quantum Leap. By the way, if I was asked the question which episode of uh, the Leap Home I preferred, I preferred the first one. You did? I did, yeah. Um, even though it had little falls of cheese. There were some really good performances in it that, that saved it. And and I did like him being in the same scene and doing uh, acting his dad as well as his 16-year-old self. I, I preferred it. Maybe on an emotional level, but yeah. Mm. No, I, I, I totally... I couldn't argue with someone who said that was their favourite one. The second one, again, it, it's about Al uh, towards the end of it there. We get uh, shown that there was an opportunity to save Al from being a prisoner of war for for many years, and and y- you kind of tugged back and oh, remember Al, he's got a past. You know, I would have liked the ending of that part too. Had Sam actually had to make a decision, knowing that if he saved his brother, then Al would have to stay in the concentration or in the uh, and giving him the dilemma camp. rather than telling him afterwards. Well, don't you right. think that was it was much? I I. I disagree. I think it would it was much better that we had Al make that decision and have being that we know what emotional pain that puts him through. Essentially what he has mm. the opportunity is not to save himself but take away all that thing that made you cry at the end of MIA and solve that problem altogether, but he chooses not to to help his friend save his brother. Yeah. And that's that makes it a lot deeper for me. Yeah. I, I understand that it would be a good dramatic device to have Sam make that decision, but the fact that Al made it just made it that bit. It's kind of like him saying, I actually care more about you than I do about me. Mm, it is. Or maybe even the indication that he can rationalize and get over things and say, well, that happened, but I'm all right. You know, mm. is my life that bad? Even though I feel it could have been better. I lived. You know, that's it. And, you know, he said, Tom I, didn't I live. free up here. I yeah. was free. Tom didn't get the life at all. Exactly. So at least Al got the life, albeit without Beth. So maybe Al is that spectacular altruist who, who would push his happiness to one side to let the greater good happen. There you go. So that's why that's why I prefer it the way it is. I, I get you. And on that note, let's let's bring this one to an end then, because also our internet's probably going to reset in four minutes. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, oh, they said a, they said around two a.m. and okay. it's now one fifty-six. We better get out. Of so here. before we just get cut off, that's yeah. four minutes to plug Atomic Trivia War Nine Thousand and Super Happy Fun Time. Yeah, and take it or leave it or Super Happy Fun Time is live on Saturday nights, midnight UK time. Call in, talk to us. Come to the radio page chat. It's a live show for it, so you can talk to us. It's about celebrating the week and saying what's made us happy. Exactly. And Atomic Trivia War is the best quiz show on the internet. 
Simple as that. That's what the Metro oh, well, thank you very much. That's mm. very generous. Especially if you had heard the episode that hasn't been released yet, because it's rough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we all need one of those every now and again. It's just, this show's at the forefront of my mind, because in building the new website, that's the, the show that I've started on. So, I've Yeah, I noticed been... you, you posted something on Facebook with an ATW9K screen cap. I said, huh. Yeah. I'm, I actually, I, I was looking into this. I can make it so you can see what I'm doing. So I'll 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 do that. I just need to give you different pre- uh, privileges on the website, and you can see the new theme. Interesting. <clears throat> that's that's you as in Jason. Everybody listening, not everybody. So <laughs> d- don't get overly excited because it's nothing like finished. And I keep doing things where I put stuff on just to see if it works, and it would scare you if you thought it was a real thing I was doing. Stuff in the store works. That all oh, that works for now, but it's it's other stuff. And yes, you can visit our stuff. And go and buy stuff and help support the network and all that sort of thing as well. Um, without further ado, then, we should just say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>